Angelus Domini, nunciavit Mariae, Maria gratia plena Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Santa Maria, Madre Hello and welcome to the Liturgical Looking Glass, a program that looks at the Church's liturgy for the week ahead. With me, Tim Hutchinson. And with me, Nick Swarbrick. And today on the Liturgical Looking Glass, we'll be thinking about the music for Sunday 14 of Ordinary Time and looking at the next feature of the Office, which today will be the Psalms, appropriate for the coming Feast of St. Benedict, which is up with us next week, or this week. Maybe? Let's think about that. But anyway, Tim, lead us in prayer, please, at the start of the programme. Yes, and appropriately, I have chosen the Collect um, for the Feast of St. Benedict. And so we begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God, whose service is perfect, whose service is perfect freedom, and in whose commandments there is nothing harsh or burdensome, grant that we, with your servant Benedict, may listen with attentive minds, pray with fervent hearts, and serve you with willing hands, so that we might live at peace with one another, and in obedience to your word, Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. That's lovely. The quotations from the rule of St. Benedict in there are really are cleverly done. It's not, um, they're not forced in, are they? They, they, they aren't, yeah. They, they're, they're very beautiful and, and cleverly done, as you say. Are you quite familiar with the rule of St. Benedict then? Not as familiar as you are, I'm sure, Tim, but yeah. So um, you've it, read it a, a few times, I imagine. It comes from the fact that when my first bit of postgraduate study was in effect monastic history, so I had to know this fairly well for, for, for the, um, the work that I was doing then, even though, in fact, the, the nuns I was studying were bridge teams rather than, uh, rather than Benedictines. But yes, I did have to know it. And had to know it in uh, the late medieval uh, or early early modern English translation that were, was uh, one of the first books printed. Wow. Uh, so yes, but not, nothing harsh nor burdensome is one of those things that, that strikes me. And in fact, I once heard a monk saying, you have to remember the rule of St. Benedict is a rule for ordinary blokes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the idea of heroics is, is almost antithetical to, ben to Benedict's vision of what he's setting up. I think. Yeah, well, he ends with saying that it's, um, this is really a, a rule for, for beginners, um, which I'm sure is what um, was meant by the word blokes there. Yeah, yes, and, um, yes so. and he says that uh, if anybody wants to sort of go on to, to higher things, then he, at the end of the rule, he names, you know, all the, the church fathers that one can, can read and the other rules that are there. Um, but yes, it... well, I, th I think certainly one of the things that has been the continuation for me of my interest in Benedict is is the rediscovery of the the sayings of the desert monastics. Mm -hmm. and I, you know, Benedict himself is very keen on that kind of way of looking at um, communal living. So much in the in the sayings of the fathers and mothers, which is about getting on with each other, and the same is true in Benedict's role. I think. Yeah, yeah, and that's why it's so universal as well. Because I mean. Uh, what person alive doesn't have to learn how to get along with with his fellow fellow um, men and women and i know uh one academic who has a copy of the rule of saint benedict on her shelf even though she is not a christian and uses it when she's quoting uh, uh, she quotes from it when she's trying to talk about uh, education management really interesting uh, yeah. interesting notion <laughs> So, as people will have gathered, this week finds us with the Solemnity of St. Benedict for those of the Benedictine family. And just to reiterate, Benedict is one of the four patron saints of Europe, the others being, and I wrote them down because I couldn't remember them all mm -hmm. in, in order. There is St. Benedict, there's also St. Bridget of Sweden and her near-contemporary Catholic, St. Catherine of Siena. And much later, in the 20th, 20th century, we've got St. Teresa of Benedict of the Cross, whose name before profession was Edith Stein. Um, yes. 
another favorite of mine. I, really? Yes. Yeah, I, um, I really, I discovered I've read it. some of her devotional stuff. I, I, I quail at trying the philosophy, I must admit. Mm, that's true. I actually haven't read any of her philosophy. Uh, well, I've read a few essays. That's wow. not true. But but mostly just the the story of her life, I find really quite compelling. It is. It's, a, it's an interesting one. I'm full of the kind of contradictions that I think Catholic Christianity had to ride during uh, the 20th century and presumably to some extent still continues to do so. Mm -hmm. She is a, an amazing person in lots and lots of ways. Yeah. We will have time later next month to think about Edith Stein because uh, Teresa Benedict of the Cross will have her feast day soon. But shall we return to St. Benedict and think about, I think probably my favorite piece of Benedictine music, if I'm honest, which is the sequence for his feast. And people who listen to us regularly will know that as soon as the word sequence comes up, the, you know, the, the two of us, our attention is, is yes. grabbed like we were dogs after a ball or whatever. But um, here is the sequence for his feast, Leta Dies Mani Ducis. I've got a translation or possibly a paraphrase would be a better way to, to think of it, which I'll read afterwards. Tell us a bit about this recording, Nick. Okay, well, this is the nuns of the Abbey of Jouc uh, in France. Uh, they live away from the bustle of modern life. They're living in communion with nature. You can hear those crickets singing along mm. with, the, with the nuns there. And their days are divided up by the regular offices of the Royal St. Benedict. The project that they are involved in or have been involved in was to record the whole liturgical calendar with all the cycle of feast days that celebrate this at Church's Saints. And the complete project now covers three years of recordings, oh. the whole entire Gregorian repertoire, including all sorts of bits. And according to their website, that's the equivalent of more than 7,000 CDs. Oh. An awful lot of work, but of course, at one level, those nuns are not doing any extra work. They are doing some, obviously, in terms of organization. This is just them at the work of God. And I think it's it's great from that point of view. And it has coughs. Some people drop their books. And you, as I said, you can hear the birds and the crickets. And I think that in itself is nice because it tells you the real life of these, uh, these Benedictines. And I think it's wonderful because of that. And we were uh, in 
we had two options of of recordings to play from this uh, for this one and and the other one had um i forget which one it was now but it had a really beautiful organ accompaniment i think um, it's downside um so it, right. within the english benedictine congregation uh tradition which is more restrained yeah um, if you think that that was restrained then you need to listen to the the english benedictines who <laughs> do tend to interiorize as they sing yeah but I think I think this was really um, so authentic, so beautiful, and I'm glad we we played that one. Um, well, shall, shall we have a look at the translation? Yes, that's what I was. Do you want to join me in this? Yeah, let's we... do it together. Okay. So, what did, do you want to take the first one, and I'll okay. go with the second one? Joyful day of our leader that brings the gift of a new light. We commemorate you today. Grace is given the loving soul. May our ardent heart be united to the songs of our lips. By the radiant way going up to the east, let us admire our father rising to heaven, equal to the patriarchs. See the crows serving him, and recognize hence Elias hiding in the little cave. Recognize Eliseus when he bids return the axe from beneath the current. It is Joseph through his life without stain. It is Jacob bringing future things to mind. May he be mindful of his people. And may he lead us till we behold him, the eternal joys of Christ. It's a lovely, simple piece of music. I mean, yes. the, the, the text is quite complex, but I, I really like it as, as a, you know, there's the simple, um, se very sequency like things so where you've got one version of the tune, then another version of the tune, and then a different tune. It's a very, very singable piece of music. And if um, people want to find, and we will put this on, on the website, on the blog, they want to find the website um, for neums.com. What's lovely about it is that you can follow along both the Latin text and the English text and the plain chant. Um, all three of these are being kind of uh, scrolled through um, separately at the same time. It's yeah. it's quite quite a remarkable little project that they've got going there. It is, and and the sequence itself is is a remarkable piece. I'll just mention briefly that the whole emphasis it is that we should see Benedict as equal to the patriarchs. So mm. we're going back into the Old Testament and we're looking at Elijah and Elisha and Joseph and Jacob, and we're supposed to see Benedict as uh, exemplifying their work in the new era. And I think it's it's a clever piece of music because of that. It distills a lot of those miracles that first occur in, in, in Pope St. Gregory's dialogues. Yeah. Okay, well, Benedict was pro proclaimed as patron of Europe in 1964, very largely, I think, to honour the influence of Benedictine monasticism on European culture. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that in 1964, the political movements behind that are, are fairly obvious, I won't labour them. But the apostolic letter confirming uh, his uh, title as patron of Europe is Pacis Nuncius, and it begins in a very interesting way, messenger of peace, Moulder of Union, Magister of Civilization, and above all, Herald of the Religion of Christ and Founder of Monastic Life in the West. These are the proper titles of exaltation given to St. Benedict, Abbot. At the fall of the crumbling Roman Empire, while some regions of Europe seemed to have fallen into darkness and others remained as yet devoid of civilization and spiritual values, he it was who by constant and assiduous effort brought to birth the dawn of a new era. It was principally he and his sons who, with the cross, the book, and the plough, carried Christian progress to scattered peoples from the Mediterranean to Scandinavia, from Ireland to the plains of Poland. Hmm. I think you have to note those words of the cross, the book, and the plough, hmm. the spiritual life, literacy, and farming organisation. They are the great foundational gifts of Benedictinism, if you want to think of it like that, uh, to, to Western culture. Yes, and I mean, the first time I heard this story, I remember how compelling it was, you know, that there's um, the way in which the the West was evangelized um, was really through these monasteries which scattered into the countryside, seeking out um, lonely places, seeking out places that others would, would not come and disturb them. And then around them, um, you know, center, they became centers of agriculture and learning and um, and bearing in mind the fact that um paganism took a took a, a it, it wasn't brought down through um empirical order it wasn't brought down through conquest it was brought down you know at enlarged by this um very peaceful revolution that happened um 
throughout the the, the countryside. Um, and I think that that's it's a story that isn't told very much because it's a much uh, more gradual, much quieter um, kind of of evangelization, and yet one that has has really stood the test of time. Yes, and I think that one of the things that we've got to think about is the the influence of these people who brought with them a certain sense of romanitas of that sense of culture where people are saying. What is this country that we're, we're invading? What is going on when we're, when we're looking with these people? And for some groups, for example, the Vikings to, to Lindisfarne, that meant destruction and theft. But for others, when they actually got to know the monks they were dealing with, there was this sense of these people know what they're doing. These mm -hmm. people belong. These people have a sense of themselves, which I think is brought out through Benedictine life. I think that that's one of those things that's we can discern even behind the miracles. You take the most humanist version of those miracles, and what they're seeing is just people who understand where they belong in the world. And that in itself is, is a, a fantastic tribute to, to Benedict, I think. Yeah. Now, one of the things that Benedictines do, um, and monks do, uh, is to pray the Psalms and to pray them all day and and every day, um, and over and over again. So we're obviously going to be looking at um, how Benedictines pray the Psalms. And you've chosen a very interesting um, tone uh, for this for this Psalm. Do you want to say uh, something the, about it? The, the direct tone, the tonus indirectum monasticus, which I think is a, is a lovely phrase in itself. But we're going to hear the the simplest version of that. Tim, you're going to show us how it can be done a bit later. But shall we just hear? a group of people singing Psalm 133. It's a, a Latin Gregorian chant version of Psalm 133, which if you know your Psalter, you know it's not going to take very long, but here we go. <laughs> Psalm 133 um, on the one of the simplest tones that there is um, I suppose it would have to almost just be a single note if you wanted to get it any simpler than that um, and uh, I'm going to demonstrate how this can be sung on just about any uh, psalm all you need to do is to be able to pair them into groups of two and then to decide um, Sometimes a decision is made, and sometimes it's just obvious where the um, where the psalm is going to be pointed. So, yeah, go ahead, Tim. Let's hear it. Oh, come, bless the Lord, all you who serve the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Lift up your hands to the holy place, and bless the Lord through the night. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made both heaven and earth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Brilliant, Tim. So what we had there was we had one of those tones, which, and not all of them do this, but one of those tones that lends itself to the prosody of English, the way that the rhythm of the words fit together. And that one works very well indeed. Um, 
it also shows that you don't need to have a great deal of preparation time. You just need to have your wits about you as to where the syllables are going to fall. And there are loads of ways of doing that in the text, but as long as you can remember where you're doing it or you're a soloist, then it works really well indeed. And it gives a, a, a meditative and slowed down version of the text. And I think that's one of the most important things about, about singing psalms like this, mm -hmm. is that it does tend to slow the text down. It's possible to sing the Rosalnik, but they don't work nearly as well. And this really means that you get to hear the words and they become that word of God that you're really looking for. Thanks very much indeed. That was great. You're welcome. Do you have another one you want to have a go at, or do you just want people to go away and have a go themselves? Uh, no, I think let's get on to some, some more interesting settings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Probably, probably heard enough of my voice. Well, I, I, you've got a nice voice. I'm not going to start disputing that on the radio. But um, let's hear a modern setting, therefore, of one of the Psalms for Night Prayer. Um, this is, again, the monks of Glenstall Abbey, who we've heard before, and uh, from their uh, album Dies Domini, but we're going to hear them singing uh, a little bit, again, of the psalms for night prayer, but in a different tone, but in English. takes me right back there to um, hear hear those voices and to hear those tones um, and that is the traditional uh, Benedictine night prayer uh, at least the Psalms so they it's um, it would always be Psalm 4 Psalm 90 and Psalm 133 um, so the monks often will say uh, they don't do this at Glenstall but because you'll have the same Psalms every night they'll memorize them very quickly and um, some communities will actually say the night office in complete darkness um, with only a, maybe a candle or two in the in the um, in the church and it is it's quite an, uh, an amazing thing to to experience um, that was a lovely choice thank you for choosing it Tim do you want to share with us um, the rule of St Benedict on song, on the psalms yes one of the things that people very often think about, especially if they're a bit daunted by the rule, are those chapters after chapters on the organisation of how you sing the psalms. Yeah. But actually in chapter 19, he's got something a bit more revolutionary to say. Sure. So um, for those who don't know, I did spend a bit of time in a Cistercian monastery um, in Leicester. And that's why um, Nick is, is kind of referring to me as the one who knows the rule of St. Benedict. And um, Cistercian monks, as well as Benedictines, will read the rule of St. Benedict daily, um, a small chapter. So you you get through the rule several times um, in a year. I can't remember if it's four times in a year, maybe. Um, but you, you get to know these phrases really well. They, they become almost memorized. Um, so this is from chapter 19. Uh, about the Divine Office. We believe that the Divine Presence is everywhere and that the eyes of the Lord are looking on the good and the evil in every place. But we should believe this especially without any doubt 
when we are assisting at the work of God. To that end, let us be mindful always of the prophet's words, serve the Lord in fear, and again sing praises wisely, and in the sight of the angels I will sing praise to you. Let us therefore consider how we ought to conduct ourselves in the sight of the Godhead and of his angels, and let us take part in the psalmody in such a way that our mind may be in harmony with our voice. Now, there are so many things that I could uh, sit, stop and dwell on here, but do you have one in mind that, that you'd like us to, to, to talk about, Nick? I think it's the phrase that comes up, sing praises wisely. Um, I remember seeing a, some choir stalls that weren't being used as choir stalls at the time, but with the words salite sapienta, sing praises wisely. In fact, I think they were from uh, Reading Abbey before its dissolution. And it's an interesting thing to have on the choir stall so the people opposite could see that as a kind of admonition. Mm -hmm. It's time to sing praises wisely. Sing with your understanding. Don't just let, let it drift over you. I think that's quite important. It is. And I think it points to something that happens outside of the divine office. And that's the practice of Letio Divina, um, spiritual reading or prayerful reading and how this is really the lifeblood of any monastic um, community. I can remember when I first was looking into monastic life and a friend of mine sent me an article that said that you could judge the health of a community, a monastic community, by how seriously they take Letio Divina. Mm -hmm. um, so Letio Divina will take up a, a much smaller portion of the monk's day um, and it will be done by himself, um, perhaps in the presence of the other monks, but but in silence, reading and praying, and um, and yet it is the the key, it seems, to opening up that contemplative uh, that contemplative ear that um, Saint Benedict is is also always talking about. The the first words of of the rule are um, listen, you know, um, that we should uh, we should be attentive. Um, so I think that's that's what this phrase uh, sing sing praises wisely um, harkens to. And if you if you look at these the texts of of the of the rule at almost anywhere really, and if you find an edition that's been wise enough to do this, um, it's just peppered with with uh, references to the Psalms and to the Proverbs and um, I mean mostly the Psalms. And that's not an, uh, an exception to the one that we, we've just read. Um, it's telling me no, that, yeah. I, I just think that the, the influence of the Psalms is one of those things that, that um, we, we can't neglect. It's right at the heart of Benedictine prayer, but it's also at the heart of, of, of the office. It's the heart of, of the, the liturgy of the Mass as well. We've got to pay attention to the Psalms mm -hmm. in ways that perhaps we don't always do. I'm very conscious of, especially as I get older, and I do tend to know more of the Psalms as I go through them. Paying attention to them is one of those things I sometimes need St. Benedict to sort of clap me around, around the ear with and, and say, sing your praises wisely. Yeah. So I, I want to pick out two other things before we move on. And yeah, that's sure. uh, firstly, you know, the opening phrase of how, so I'll take from the beginning and from the end, that the divine presence is everywhere and that the eyes of the Lord are looking on the good and the evil However, we believe that this is especially true um, mm -hmm. during the work of God. And I think that there's something quite amazing about that. He's saying, look, we're not trying to say that God isn't watching us when we're doing our work or um, our recreation, but we need to become, uh, have a heightened awareness of this during our time of praise. Um, and, and, and I think that there's a... Th that kind of goes counter to to a lot of um, ways that people think is th this idea that. Um, but what it, what it's actually saying is that the 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 particular will spread out to the universal. If you can um, begin to to honor the presence of God uh, when you sing the divine praises, and and have that special uh, time of of remembering that He is He is truly present. It should then overflow into the rest of of the way that you live, um, and you see that elsewhere in places of the rule where it says that the 
the tools that you use in the monastery should be like the sacred uh, vessels of the altar. You know, so we come from this one one place of, of acknowledging God's holiness, which then spreads out um, to the rest of, of one's life. Well, that's brilliant, Tim. I, I love that idea of, of connecting the whole part of your life so that they become like the, the, the sacred liturgy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's you mentioned what, two things though. You mentioned that yes. that was, what, what's the other one? So the other one is the ending of, of this um, passage, and, and that is um, that our mind may be in harmony with our voice. And again, I think this goes counter to what um, some uh, maybe a more modern kind of spirituality is. Is that it? This is a receptive kind of 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 posture. You know that we are receiving these prayers, these these words of scripture that are. Um, handed down to us, and we are not trying to just express the the uh, the overflowing, um, uh, you know, the ideas of our mind and our heart. But we're actually trying to conform our mind and our heart to the words of Scripture, to the words of the Divine Office um, and the Psalms. And um, I think there's there's something quite powerful about that as well. So to to bring one's voice in harmony with one's, um, sorry, to bring one's mind in harmony with with one's voice, is is the you know the closing uh, line of that passage, which I think is very important. Well, thanks, Tim. I think the idea of of us listening to the psalms as well as singing them, I think, is an important part of of the way that our mind being in harmony with our voice works. I'd like to pay tribute, if we can, to the influence of the Psalms, the continuing use of the Psalms in Anglican everyday worship. And um, one of the ways that we might listen to that, if you have access to a, a cathedral or an, an Oxford or Cambridge choir, is the way that the Psalms are sung to a particular set of tones. So if we could hear Psalm 42, like as the heart desireth the water brooks, sung by King's College, I think you get some sense of the way that they are used within the Anglican tradition. say anything you say about uh, the uh, beauty and the goodness and the the richness of Gregorian chant um, you that it can't be said at the expense of a setting like that no it's 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 a separate discipline it's an entirely different discipline but it does allow that primacy of the word of God to come out um, somebody once said in fact I think it was Francis Young on Twitter who described the book of common prayer as uh, a a 16th and 17th century attempt to bring monastic liturgy to the people. Mm. Yeah, I think it, it's a, it's clever to, to think of it like that. 
But of course, it comes a lot closer to the people when we get to the metrical sums. We mentioned these way back in Lent, but I think to hear that in contrast, we've got Nahum Tate's version as pant the hearts, pants the heart that breathes and braves, which I find a little difficult to say. But we've got Maddie Pryor and the Carnival Band singing that, a very different version of the Psalms. But it shows that even within the uh, depth of the 18th century, depth is an odd word there, but right in the middle of the long 18th century, we have got these attempts to keep the Psalms singable and relevant. So here we've got Maddie Pryor and the Carnival Band. Love me some Maddie Pryor. That was great. Oh. Yeah. So great, isn't it? Yes. And I mean, we could we could go a number of different directions with this psalm, but you've chosen something even um, completely different. for. Well, completely different because we come back to uh, the Counter-Reformation, the Catholic Reformation, however you want to describe it, with Palestrina's setting of the same psalm. Mm -hmm. This is his amazing secret chairs sung by the Gesualdo Six. Very, very different, very complex, and requiring a choir of really quite a, a, a complex set of training behind them to manage it.
So this is one of the few pieces um, of that kind of choral music that I can actually say I've sung before. That's quite amazing. It is a, I think it's a very tricky piece of music. I've never tried singing it myself, but you know, there's so much going on in that. It's, mm. it's an amazing piece. Oh, it's really, it's good fun. It's really a lovely, a lovely one to do. Well, let's end this seg segment thinking about the Psalms to think about the singing of the canticles, because alongside the Psalms and the great gospel canticles that deserve their own slot later in the series are the poems from the Old and New Testament, which are part of the way that we sing or say the office. The longest of them all is the Canticle of the Three Young Men, the great hymn of creation, the Benedicite or the Benedicity, if you're using the, uh, the English pronunciation. Oh, all you works of the Lord, oh, bless the Lord. It's set in the breviary for two Sundays and for every feast and solemnity. Uh, first of all, let's go to the monastery of Komusa in Senegal to hear their setting and the way that the canticle urges the natural world to bless the Lord, give glory eternally to him, à lui vous rendez gloire éternellement. So here we've got um, Kel Moussa singing the Cantique des Créatures. Preparing for this broadcast, um, I was saying to you, Nick, how this is so different to the version that I'm used to singing, um, which was actually an Anglican version of... Uh, oh, right. Yes, of course. Yeah. So we've heard an Anglican version of some psalm singing. Was the the stuff that you used to sing different from, from, the, from the, uh, the psalm that we heard from Kings earlier? So it was... Um, I think the, there were some similarities in the harmonies, although we sang it... Um, as a we just sang the melody but the the way that the organ was accompanied you could you could hear the similarities so it went something like oh all you works of the lord oh bless the lord to him be highest glory and praise forever and you works of the lord oh bless the lord to him be highest glory and praise forever um which does so you've got more movement than you get out of the gregorian tone yeah. Because you, you've got different reciting notes, but the sim, a similar kind of discipline, is that right? Yes, yeah, that, that would be right, yeah. Um, with the sort of, it's not metrical, uh, and um, yeah, I'd have to think about it. It's funny how you don't really stop and think about these things and until you do. <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, that was a, a lovely sort of contrast uh, to it, and um, a very interesting passage because as you i'm sure you know this is not in the uh the protestant uh translation of the old testament um so i was actually unaware of it until i came um came across it in my after my uh conversion um 
and a very interesting passage. Although I had I had sung it once in a choir in Cape Town many many years ago, but that would take too long to to talk about. <laughs> yes, I know what you mean. There, there are whole bits of the uh, of the biblical history. I'm reading John Barton's history of the Bible at the moment, and there are revelations to me in the way that the text became the way that it is. And this is one of the points where it actually does cut, you come face to face to it with it mm. as a as a liturgist or as, a, as someone who just uses uses the Bible for their prayer. This is a great prayer. This is a wonderful poem. Mm. In fact, it goes on far longer than we sing it. And I just think it's it's um, one of those things that really can't be missed out of people's liturgical life. I just love it as a yeah. love it. Text. I do, and for those who are like, "What is it? What are you talking about?" It's the uh-huh. um, it's the the hymn that the young men sing when they are having having been thrown into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, I don't remember their that. I think that's their Babylonian names. I don't remember their Jewish names. Um, and you're going to put me on the spot, and I can't remember them either. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. We've got. We've got that much time. <laughs> well, let's move to the choir monks of La Grande Chartreuse then. Just as the poem turns from the singers urging the heavens, the cold and the heat, the lightning and the clouds to bless the Lord, um, we turn to let a, let the earth bless the Lord, mm-hmm. and we've got a. We'll hear a minute maybe of this. Um, this is the the office of the night, except this is actually the Lord's, the the prayer service, the praise service that ends the night would be one way of describing it in the in the um, in the more traditional way. This is the canticle of the three young men sung by the monks of La Grande Chartreuse. <laughs> So far, we've listened to a lot of monastic music. I think we ought to turn to everybody's mass on Sunday. Yeah, I can't remember what I was going to remind you about. Ah. <laughs> if you can't remember either, let's move. I to do. Some... I do remember. You can't remember what you were supposed to remind me of because I didn't no, tell I'm you. Really um, bad, so the the thing is, uh, speaking of Sunday, the thing that popped in my mind when we were preparing this was that I had uh, I went to the fir- for the first time to the cathedral in London um, for high mass. I've been to low mass there, but I went to high mass and it really took my breath away. Um, so that was Sunday, twelve o'clock noon, um, and. Um, and the liturgy was just amazing. I mean, have you been, you've been there before, I imagine? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it used to be a, a fairly uh, regular thing for me to do when I was in North London. And in fact, we have a family link with it in that the family are obviously indirect, but descendants nonetheless of St. John Southworth, who's ferretry, who's a encased encased body is is uh, there in, in his shrine so it was one of those places that had a special rem- uh, resonance for us and it was the very first time that i ever met a cardinal was actually singing in in um you uh, sung in, there okay lovely yeah i mean i was so we had just done, we'd, we'd looked at the intro the week before um yeah 
and then I got to hear it. And what was lovely was, I mean, I've tried to sing introits while um, processing into mass, and usually it's like everybody really trying to to hold it together, and it's wobbling, and you're missing um, a word here, a syllable or a melisma here and there. Um, but I mean, they were just flawless, and um, the whole, you know, uh, the whole cathedral was just ringing with these uh, young boys' voices that were so sweet and beautiful, and it was, it was lovely. I was, I was very, very edified by the experience. I wonder if anyone who's got inside knowledge would like to tell us whether they practice standing still and then they practice while walking, yeah. or whether it just becomes part of the discipline. I, yeah, I'd love to know as well. In fact, I really want Radio Maria to broadcast that mass. That's uh, one of the things that I'm hoping that we can do. At Wouldn't some that be wonderful? Yeah, that would that be a would great be thing. In some ways, it is the mother church of, of Catholic Christianity mm. um, these days, and I think it's a wonderful In England. Thing. In England. Yes, sorry. <laughs> I, there we go. There's my Anglo-Saxon coming out again. Sorry about that. But yes, it is the English mother church, and I think it is yeah. it's celebrating that if we can. I realize we, we're probably running over time now, but the um, one of the things I saw before we left um, with my friend um, Sarah, who was taking me around, was they have the 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 popes and the uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, kind of each one uh, from the very beginning on a on a plaque at the back. Have you seen that? No, I the, haven't seen that. It's very fascinating. So you've you've got the two uh, side by side. Um, so whenever there was an Archbishop of Canterbury the um the popes beside them you know so like uh, going back as far as one can um and then obviously during the time of the reformation uh when the hierarchy was was uh what would you say disestablished um you know there's a long gap it's a nice yeah. way of putting it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um anyways let's move on this sunday what are we going to talk about okay well, I mean, it's interesting that we're talking here about um, the holiness of the building as well as anything else, because one of my favorite pieces of music, one of my favorite chant pieces, is the chant, Alleluia, Magnus Dominus, great is the Lord and worthy to be praised in the city of our God. Listen to the fourths and fifths in this. In a big stone church like Westminster Cathedral, which is largely brick, I know, they set up their own harmonies. And I think it's really worth our listening to this. I'll tell you a little bit about the album after we've heard at least some of the Alleluia Manus Dominus. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
got in this particular album is an attempt to listen to differences and similarities between uh, Western Christian chant and uh, traditional Japanese Zen chant. What we're going to be getting out of that, I'm not sure, is fully represented on, on that album cover. What I'm going to do after this program is see how much of this is available online and listen to it in some detail. I might report back at another point, to be perfectly honest. I think it's interesting, if nothing else. Let's listen to the communion now. The communion is a, a particular favourite of mine, partly because of the way that um, the, in the text we're talking about turtle doves, turtle doves finding their nest, and the music gives us the cooing et torturnidum, et torturnidum. This is the communion, passa invenit sibi domum, the sparrow finds herself a home, and the swallow a nest for her young. By your altar, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they who dwell in your house forever singing your praise. I think the metaphor probably comes from someone writing this poem and looking up and seeing maybe a sparrow flitting from mm. one portico to another. I just like the reality of this. And it's played out in the music written a thousand years later. interesting because um when we when we were playing this um in preparation i had completely uh forgotten about that tour tour you know like it, it's a, it's something that that's been pointed out to me before i mean it's a real onomatopoeia isn't oh, it? it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful piece of translation by yeah. Gerald to start off with um, but it also plays out not only in, from the hebrew into the latin but also from the, the latin into the chant I just love it as a, as a piece of music. No, it's it's so clever. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, it's been so much fun going through all this liturgy, I must say. And, <laughs> and I think that it's such a, a wonderful thing that we've been able to talk about monastic liturgy. So thank you so much for for um, bringing it up. Um, and and actually, it ties in again, doesn't it? I mean, if we, we can mention it, the notion of you know finding the home, it's also an image of monastic stability. Yeah. And I think that that in itself is, is worth celebrating. Um, that was Pluskadon, by the way, singing from their liturgy of St. Columba. Yes. And um, I mean, I, it, it's, it, it's enough to give me goosebumps, goosebumps actually just thinking about um, this psalm because it's come up uh, several times in, uh, on Radio Maria in the last little while, um, you know, uh, in just in a single day of um, different people talking about it and, and so the Holy Spirit must be trying to to tell us something 
So thank you again for, for tuning about, on. About the sense of belonging, which is what we were talking about when we were talking about Benedict and, and the early early Benedictine monks, I think. Yeah. Now, we, we have a final piece to play from one of my favorite places in the world. Okay, um, go for it. Yeah, so this is from the nuns of St. Uh, Cecilia's Abbey. And I think uh, anything um, about that we do about chant um, can't uh, leave them out because they're one of the best monastic choirs in the world. And they're on the Isle of Wight. If you didn't know that, um, it's a place to go and, and to go and listen. Um, and it's a Sylvie Regina, which um, appropriately uh, we'll be playing out with. Um, and um, would you like to say anything about this before we you, say you, You've said it all. I mean, the Salve Regina is one of those pieces that um, if people don't know the solemn tone, they almost certainly will know the simple tone. This is the solemn tone in the Benedictine monastic version. It has a number of versions. Let's not go into the musicology of it at this point. Let's just revel in and perhaps even join in with the um, final antiphon which would be the final antiphon for the day, the last thing that a monastic choir might sing could well be the Salve Regina. That's right, yeah. So thank you so much for listening to the Liturgical Looking Glass. Um, as always, we're here same time um, each week, but you can also find us as a podcast. Um, and I'm getting quite into the podcast, actually. Oh, I, good. It's, it's <laughs> listenable to um, when I go out for a run, for example. Yeah. Oh, well, welcome to the world of podcasts, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's my morning cycle. All right. Um, here are the nuns of, uh, of St. Cecilia singing the Salve Regina. Um, it's been wonderful. And uh, we'll be with you next week again. That's Next week. It for God me, bless. Tim Hutchinson. And me, Nick Solbrick. God bless. Angelus Domini, nuncia 